You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Let's turn our Bibles over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And Peter, of course, is talking about the end. He's talking about the day of the Lord in verse 10, which is not so much a day, but it's a, a title that's ascribed to a period of time. A period of time in the end times that begins with the rapture of the church, includes following that the tribulation period, marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, second coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, all the way up into the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, which he will talk about. And so we have, for the last few studies, been looking at events leading up to the end. And we'll get to the end. We'll come back to this. And we'll, you know, we've, we've looked at the when, some of these things. We're there and the, the what's going to be happening. And then next week we'll talk about the how. How do we respond? Why should we look at it? And respond the way that Peter talks about here. It's, it's going to be fascinating. But for you that are taking notes again, this is maybe familiar to you. Or maybe, as many have been sharing with me over the last couple of weeks, that you've come from a church or maybe you're not churched. And you're like, I've, I've never had these things taught in my you know, the church I was raised in and whatnot, I, I've been raised, I had a few people tell me, yeah, we went to churches that every time we got to the book of Revelation or anything related to end times, they just said those things are deeper waters and, and, and we're not going to go there. So um, we are here, we're going through the Bible and we basically read and we expound upon wherever we find ourselves as we're going through the Bible. So um, for you that are taking notes again, this is it's, we, we, we would call this the study of end times or eschatology. Eschatos is the end or final. And when the Bible talks about the end or the final, it's, it's eschatology. It's the study of just that. God's not silent about these things. My girls, when they were younger, we would talk about taking a road trip, taking a vacation. And, um, you know, they were, we homeschooled them all, so we were very involved in their lives and whatnot. And, we're very big into knowing and, and, and learning and, and, and reading and whatnot. And oftentimes they would want to know all of the, the details about, well, where are we going? We've never been there. And, and, and how many of you guys, maybe before you plan a trip, you want to go to somewhere you're going to put maybe you know, some time and effort and money into, and, and before you go, the reservations have been made, but you're doing everything you can to understand Man, what, what are the points of interest there? What am I going to be doing there? And if you really long to go to somewhere, if you're like really into it, you'll know all kinds of details about it before you get there. As we go through these events, as we go through these like key events that are, are part of our plan, these are the events that, well, well God had put in motion before he formed, shaped, and created the foundations of the earth. God, who is eternal, he looked at you. He looked at me. He looked at creation. He desires to save all men. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And this redemptive plan of God, it, it has you in mind. It has the day that 
that you surrender to him in mind. Everything that God does, he does with a purpose in mind. When he created you, when you were born and into this life, he just had this amazing plan for you. It wasn't just by random, you are here. No, it was a, a God who's created all things, who created mankind, who, who works as the sovereign God of all to allow you and allow me to exist in this time, at this place. And, and when it comes to spiritual birth, it's the same. He, he chose us in Ephesians. It talks about this idea in the, the Greek. The idea is when God chose us, it, it was with a purpose in mind, to choose out from and unto. And, and God didn't choose us out from the world when he looked at us and was like, I, I, I choose Lance just out from the world, and I'm not just sure why. No, he chose you. He chose me in the plan of redemption that involves our existence and it, it, it involves our spiritual regeneration as a human being. He, he chose us with this, like, I, I, I choose Lance with a purpose in mind. And as you go through the book of Ephesians, you begin to realize that, that there's, there's even just the intimacy of that, that he chose me with adoption in mind to bring me into his family. As I go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I realize that he, he chose me with the purpose of gifting me. Verse, eight tell, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12 tells me that there's a specific place in the body of Christ he, he had in mind for me when he chose me to create me and to regenerate me, to bring spiritual life. And we can get our minds wrapped around all of that. But God also chose me with eternity in mind. He chose me with my tomorrow in mind. He chose me with these events that we're studying that have yet to happen in mind. He chose me with the rapture in mind. He chose me knowing that one day he would, he would say to his son, go get your bride, and that his desire in me being part of that bride would have been fulfilled by my giving my life to his son. And he chose me with that in mind. He chose me with the, the tribulation in mind. That after the, the rapture of the church, when, when the, the son comes and takes his groom and, and we're taken up out of here, he, he, he knew that there would be the, the, the tribulation, his, his wrath that would be poured out upon the Christ rejecting upon the earth. And, and he chose me with that in mind as well. And, and what he had in mind was to keep me from that. I should have heard at least one amen right about now. He chose me with his second coming in mind. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14, he chose me, knowing that one day I will be riding a horse behind him, coming in the second coming. We're going to go through all that this morning. He chose me with the millennial reign in mind, that he would establish his kingdom. Revelation 5, you and I as followers would rule and reign with him on earth for a thousand years as priests and kings. He chose me with Hawaii in mind and went, Lance, that's yours. <laughs> Sorry. Just Kauai. You can have the rest. chose me with a, a plan that involved him creating a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell, and I'll be hanging out there with you who are believers. He chose me with that in mind. He chose me with an eternity where there is no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. He chose to put me in, in you into eternity where the old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. That is as much a part of my life as this very moment. 
That is as real. My tomorrow, your tomorrow, that involves an eternity in the redemptive plan of God is just as real as our today. The difference is there's some people who, well, they've looked into that and they study the details about that and they have hope that grows and wells because of that. And then there's others, they might just be saved and on that road, but they have no idea what's on that road ahead of them. What we've done is we, we, we turned our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we went, well, Peter kind of goes like from just normal life to the very end of the end of life. And we said, let's back up, and let's just take a couple of weeks. We might do another one, because the first study went slow. So you're the second one. We'll see. But, but let's, just, let's just look at some of the significant events leading up to the end. Because Jesus wanted us to know that. He talked about him and the disciples being on the Mount of Olives, and, and, and Jesus looked over at the temple, the temple that was there when he was there around 30 A.D., and, and, and it was the same temple mount in the same area where Solomon had built the temple, and, and it had been radically modified by Herod the Great, it had become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he looked over at that temple from just across the valley, up on the Mount of Olives, looking over at the Temple Mount, and he just predicted that that thing's coming down. And in 70 A.D., it actually did. So anything that guy predicts, I'm listening to. But as he said that to the disciples, listen, that, that meant more than just, hey, the temple's not going to be there anymore. That, that got them thinking about the end. To them, that was it. That, that what's the end? What's the, the, the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then we have what we call the, the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus, he's like, this is what I want you to know. There's some really key things that are going to happen that you just need to know. And I would just encourage you to read through that over and over. Matthew 24 and 25, that's a, a really good read. But as you're reading that, he, he, he talks about things that I think are very important to understand. As he's talking about what it's going to be as we're getting towards the end, a couple of key things we talked about last time. One, he talks about the generation that will be living in the end times. And he talks about, as we noted, that generation will see the nation of Israel become a nation once again. And in May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation once again. They hadn't been since 70 A.D., and they are now since 1948. Another thing he said is that the days in the end will be much like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In the end, getting towards the end, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and violence and earthquakes in various places. But the end is not yet. So we have all of these things that Jesus talks about. And, and, and Peter himself, he, he says in 2 Peter 3 here, he says that, in the end times, know that scoffers will come. And they'll, they'll scoff at everything Jesus said about the end. They'll scoff about what the Bible says about the end. So the end times will be marked by people. By, by, it'll just be like the norm. The people will be scoffing and saying, oh, they've been saying this forever. It ain't, and they'll be scoffing at that. That will also be an indication that we're getting close to the end. Paul would say it a little bit 
differently in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We talked about this. He says the end will be marked by an apostasia, by a falling away. But let me read that again in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. But listen, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And if you weren't here in our studies through 2 Peter chapter 2, all the way through all those studies we did there, I would highly encourage you to, to go back. And even if you were here, listen to what we, 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 we just broke that down. What, what has crept into the church? What has crept into our culture? The, the deception that is leading people away. Very enlightening, but we don't have time to revisit that right now. But they're going to be giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So in, in the end, there's going to be these things, everything from what Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse to what Peter's talking about to what Paul's talking about. But we will see. We will know that we're getting close to the end when we see a lot of people just departing from the faith, biblical faith, following Jesus with all of our heart and following Jesus with all, following his word with all of our heart, faith. Then we have, as we talked about, the rapture. And a couple of studies back, we, we went into just the details of the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 18 talks about that. I even like how Paul talks about the rapture in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, where he's like, look, it, I'm, I'm going to talk about this mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not everyone's going to die. But we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I'm, we're, that's quick. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I remember someone sent me a picture one time and I, I looked at it, pulled it up on my computer and I thought, oh, that's a really cool picture. And it's a picture of a trumpet case and the, the, the case was open. And the trumpet was there, and there was this big old angel leaning towards it. And I thought, oh, man, go for it, dude. Pick it up. <laughs> Get the toot and the horn. Revelation, we, we noted that in chapters 2 and 3, there's, a, there's really a, a chronological order to the book of Revelation. We'll be there Prayerfully this year, we'll go through the book of Revelation. But in chapters 2 and 3, we have these letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. And, and as you read through those letters, they, they have a, a specific word from Jesus for those churches living in that day. And then there's an application. There's, each one of these churches represent a period of church history even to where one of the churches represents the church that will be alive and around at the end of the age. And I'll let you go and do some research on that, and you figure out which one that might be. But it starts with an L, and it kind of sounds like Laodicea. <laughs> but read it. Just read it. What's it say about the church? I'll give you a hint. We're not hot and we're not cold. But as, as, as we get to chapter 4, this is really important. 
And, and we'll go over this over and over as we go through the book of Revelation because it takes a while to stick. But at the end of church age, the age of the church, the church is like it's fulfilled its purpose on earth. We come to chapter 4, and there's this phrase where John says, now, after these things, and in the Greek, it's metatauta. And the idea is after an age, after church age, after the church age, this is what's next. So the church has been here since Acts chapter 2, when it was birthed by the Holy Spirit. And we are the church, amen? amen. We are the bride of Christ. But there will be an age. This age will end. And metatauta, after these things, John looks and he sees a door open up into heaven. And then you see the church in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And you don't see the church mentioned again in the book of Revelation till you get to chapter 19, where the church is seen in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the church comes back to earth with Jesus at the second coming. And we're going to go through that this morning. And so these things might be like, wow, that's a lot to remember, but just... Just remember what Jesus said about the end age and things that we could look at to say we're close to the end. Look at what Paul says about the falling away, what Peter says about the scoffing, what Jesus says about like the days will be just like the days of Noah where everybody is just eating and drinking and, and thinking judgment will never come, but then it comes. Like in the days of Lot, as we went through that, and we looked at the, the, the society and the immorality of, of Lot, and then judgment came. Where we, will, where we will look at those birth pangs, where we will look at these events that are telling us, hey, surely, man, be, be looking, be ready, because, man, your redemption draws near. After these things... We see the church throughout the book of Revelation not mentioned until the second coming where we, will, where we will return with Jesus. And what, what I wanted to do was just talk about that particular event. The rapture, again, is when the father is going to say to his son, go get your bride. And that's the rapture. The rapture will be, again, First Thessalonians chapter 4. It will be what, what Jesus was talking about in, in John's gospel chapter 14 when he was talking about leaving them and, and, and he saw the troubling that came to the disciples. And he's like, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. So he will come. He will come for us. That's the rapture. We come to the second coming now at the, at the end of the, the, the tribulation period, and, and we see him coming with his bride back to the earth. We talked about the rapture of the church. We talked about the, the tribulation of the church. It begins in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. goes through chapter 19. In chapter 6, it begins with, with the leader of the earth rising to power and we, we talked about this man, this one that is known as the Antichrist. We talked about when he rises to power, he will, he will make a covenant with the nation of Israel right away. 
And, and, and Daniel chapter 9 talks all about that. But he'll make a covenant with them, and he will reinstate daily sacrifices, something they haven't done since 70 A.D., something they will not do unless there is a temple to do that in. So obviously there will be the, the rebuilding of the third temple. And if time allows us this morning, we'll go into Ezekiel, and we'll look at the prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 43 and 44, where Ezekiel is actually told by God to go out and measure that future temple. So much in my mind here. I'm kind of excited about my trip, you know? I'm excited about my future. I've read up on it. I can't wait to go. And I just want to make sure you're excited as well. Is that okay? All right. <laughs> All right. We looked at the tribulation period. We looked at the judgment. The trumpet judgments followed, that, that followed the seal judgments. And we said halfway through the tribulation period, over one half of the earth's population will die by the judgment that God will bring upon the earth. The Antichrist, this man that will rise to power, he will form somewhere around Revelation 13, talks about his power, that the enemy, Satan himself, gives him power. He will, he will lead a confederation of ten nations, probably nations that are revived nations out of the old Roman Empire. He will establish one world order, a one world monetary system. How close are we to that? A one world military system. A one world monetary system, military system, and a one world religious system. It says in Revelation chapter 13 that people will worship the beast. They'll worship him. Because the world will be so rocked by the events that will unfold that they'll look to this man as the answer. What would it take for America today to just say, let's, let's put down our monetary system and let's follow a one-world monetary system? What's going to have to happen to America in order for that to happen? It's going to happen to our country for us to say, let's not use our military, let's go with this global military. What's going to happen to America for us to say, let's not be about our religious programs in this our land, let's be about one that this man brings upon the land. Great countries will be reduced. And, and great countries that will then be reduced will be looking for answers. And they'll look to this man. And they'll worship this man. This man who Satan had given power to do the very things that he was doing. And as we noted, Satan will finally get what he's always been after Worship from man through the beast. But this man, halfway through the tribulation period, as we talked about, will also walk into the temple that he has helped Israel rebuild. And he will walk in, as we, we read there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2, or 3 and 4, where he's known as the son, the, the son of perdition there. And, and, and he will... Be the one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God saying that he is God. So the Jewish nation as a whole, these people that are still looking for their Messiah because they don't believe Jesus Christ was or is the Messiah. If you talk to them today and you said, tell us about the coming Messiah. Who is he going to be and what is he going to do? They will describe to you a great political leader, a great political liberator, they will describe to you 
in great part what the Bible says the Antichrist will be. And they will see the Antichrist as their Messiah. And if you were to ask the average Jew today, you know, do you believe that the Antichrist is God? Do you believe that he's deity? They'd say, or excuse me, that, that your future Messiah is God, that he is deity. They'd say, no, 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 we do not believe that he is deity. And so when the Antichrist, whom has helped them rebuild their temple, whom has helped them reinstate daily sacrifices, whom has made a covenant some way with them to do all of that. When they, when they look at this man and, and Israel sees all of these things kind of falling in line as to what they believe their world should be, he will walk in halfway through the tribulation period. He will walk into that temple and he will say, guess what? I am God. And that will be, as Daniel said, the abomination of desolation. It will be the event that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. He says to the Jews, when you see these things happening, as, and he refers to when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by the prophet Daniel. Read it. Jesus said that to his disciples. He says to them, flee. And you better pray that this does not happen on Sabbath. If you've been with us to Israel, you know that on Sabbath... That country shuts down. If you want to use an elevator, do not get in the Sabbath elevator. Because <laughs> every button is pre-pushed for you because you don't work on the Sabbath. Don't be pushing no buttons on the Sabbath. Pray that you're not with child. And flee. We'll talk about what that, how that kind of plays out. So we have a, just this event where there's going to be towards the end an apostasia, a falling away. There'll be the scoffing. There will be the rapture. There will be the, the seven-year tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 19. There will be the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb, that seven-year feast where, where you and I will both find ourselves in Revelation 19, verse 9. These are events that are scripted down by your Creator for you that are going to happen. As sure as this world was created, that future is already put in motion. You will, I will, and I, I take these things so literal that if I've officiated your marriage, if I've, and I've done hundreds of weddings, but if they are believers, and most of the ones I do, they, they are believers. I'll, I'll marry non-believers, but I won't marry a believer to a, to a believer. But the ones that are believers, 99.9% .9 of them, we will, at the end of the wedding, if they want to have communion, it's a very moving time. We go in the, the back, and I, I always look at them, and I always get excited, and I, I look at them, and I say, now, you chose to openly and publicly do for the first thing as a, as a married couple, honor Jesus Christ and remember his sacrifice. Everyone in this room right now is tripping out because you're doing that. And I go, now let's read this. And I, and I tell them, listen, Jesus says, He's not going to be doing this again with us, eating from the fruit of the vine, until we are together with him in the Father's kingdom. And I said, I want you to have an eternal perspective as you move forward. He has brought you together. He needs to keep you together. And this is where he's taking you. And I tell them all, I take this so literally that when we get there, you find me. And I'm going to have the right, in a very humble, broken way, to look at you and go, Told you so. Told you so.
Now, if you sit remotely close to me at the marriage supper of the Lamb, yell down to me. You told us so. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, told you so. And we're going we're gonna to have a marriage supper, a feast for seven years together. Man, talk about a, no potluck, by the way. <laughs> you don't have to bring anything up and just show up. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 19. After that brief, brief introduction. Verse 15, Revelation 19, 15. I want you to picture standing on the edge of a, of a mountain range. I want you to picture you're so high up on the mountain range that you're looking over a valley, the Jezreel Valley. And, and I want you to picture, it's almost like if you were in a plane maybe at about, I'm going to say 4,000 feet. And you were looking down to where all the agriculture below you looked like, like a map. You could, you could see the rivers, you could see the fields, you could see the roads, but you couldn't see the people, the cars. It's just that far away. But picture that valley 200 miles wide and almost 75 miles across. It's deep. It's wide. Picture standing there and looking over the edge. And I'm standing right here looking at you. See, now don't, don't get too close. And, and as you're there, I'm telling all of you, you're going to be here one day. You, you are going to be here one day. And then I open my Bible as you're all looking over, and I, and I read verse 11. Now, now I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his, his head were like many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, listen, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, pause there. And right about then, I stop. And you're leaning in. And I said, that's you. That's me. That's the redeemed. That's the bride. We've been up enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. And, and then we're going to mount horses. You say, I don't know how to ride a horse. And I'll say, you will. <laughs> and I'm going to say, literally, this is going to happen. And you're going to, I'm going to come down to the Jezreel Valley, which this portion of the valley is also known as Megiddo. And I will sit there for a good 40 minutes and I'll break down the details and other scriptures that talk about the battle of Armageddon. And what, if, if you leaned in on that with me right there, you just basically stepped into one of my Israel tours. And I'm just going to put it to you this way. Our Israel tour here, when you go with me in 2021, there's a cost involved. This trip, when we are here, the price has already been paid. <laughs> Some of you are like, I ain't going to Israel, it's too much money. Okay, you will be with me in Israel one day. 
And the price will have already been paid 2,000 years ago on a cross for you. He, he went to that cross and he saw your redemption. And everything that that redemption would bring to your life, he saw that. And he sees that. And he's coming back to fulfill that. This is going to happen. Three significant events that happen from the second coming of Jesus Christ and, the, and the, the three things that we see just very clearly, the Bible saying he, he's going to be there and he is going to do that. I don't have time to get into the battle and who's all lined up and what's going to happen. I'm just going to tell you, Jesus wins. Just cut to the chase. So if you're riding on a white horse with him, tripping out because you never rode a horse before, but you got it down, and you're coming down, just know you're on the right team. You're on the right team. Second stop for you note-takers, Petra. Isaiah 33, 15 through 17, describes Petra as a place in the rocks where God is going to protect his people and provide for them in the future. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hand, refuses bribes, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. Notice all of these. He is capitalized. His place, H, his, is capitalized. His place of defense will be fort, uh, the fortress of the rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Just as, as God took care of his people in the wilderness in the days of Moses, so too in the future God will take care of his people in the wilderness during the tribulation period. Revelation 7, we see that God will select 144,000 Jews and he'll seal them during the tribulation period. John said that the seal was the name of God that was written on their foreheads. It's a reminder that they belong to God. So when you see these individuals holding Watchtower magazine standing on a corner, saying we are the 144,000, or some of us are, the Jehovah Witnesses are the 144,000, just look at them and say, are you a Jew? And if they know I'm not a Jew, I'm whatever, dissent, then say, you are not one of those 144,000. These will be Jews. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, talks about Jesus going to Petra after the second coming. He who was, or, he, or who is this who comes from Edom, which is modern-day Jordan, where Petra is located, with, notice this, with dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious, notice one is capitalized, in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Again, Revelation 19, 11 through 14. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. He's talking about the victory that he brought at the battle of Armageddon. And from the people, no one else is with me. In other words, I did this by myself. This was my power that brought my victory. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury, their blood was sprinkled upon my garments. 
and I have stained my robes. For the day of, of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. So first stop will be the Jezreel Valley, the Battle of Armageddon. Second stop will be Petra. And, and not sure exactly what Jesus is going to do other than what these scriptures are talking about, but he will address the Jews <clears throat> who have fled to Petra. Remember, he, he, he told them in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. Get out of Dodge. Get out of Jerusalem and head, head, head to the rock city, and there I'll take care of you, and he will. Third stop. Third stop is the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives in Zechariah 14, 3 through 4. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights against in the day of battle. And in that day, so following that, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making it a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move forward to the north and the other to the south. This is going to happen. So, second coming, we come with him. We're in now our glorified bodies. We are now on earth. We've come back with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Read through Revelation 19 again. See who we come with and what he comes to do. He has come to establish his kingdom. He's going to take out those who oppose him. Battle of Armageddon. He's going to go... And, and, and just as the heart of a shepherd, he's going to go back to his people who have been protected by him in Petra, and he's going to reveal himself to him. Then he's going to go to his city where he is going to rule and reign. And he's going to start by setting his feet on the very mountain where 2,000 years ago those feet stood, and he fell, and he wept to his father on that very mountain. And he said, Father, if there's any other way that this cup, any other way you could redeem mankind other than me going to the cross, go for it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He is going to be on that very mountain where 2,000 years earlier, his betrayer, a good friend by the name of Judas, came with the temple police and the religious hierarchy and Roman guards to arrest him. That same mountain where Judas will kiss him and betray him with a kiss. He will be on that very mountain where those Roman soldiers will lead him away to be tried and crucified. He will be on that very mountain where seven days prior to his being arrested on that mountain, he would get on a donkey and he would ride from Bethany on the opposite side of that mountain, down that mountain with his disciples, hearing people saying, save now, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But only seven days later to find those very people calling out for him to be crucified. He will put his feet on that very mountain as the king. But this time he will stay and he will rule. And he will reign for a thousand years. Quickly turn with me. We'll close with this couple last scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 44, where Ezekiel has been given the task of measuring this whole future temple and whatnot, and the grounds there. And Ezekiel 44, verse 1, says, He brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces to the east, but it was shut. 
And the Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. Now let me explain what's going on here. In 30 A.D., we have the triumphal entry. The gate was open. The eastern gate, which leads into the city of Jerusalem, was open. And Jesus, with his disciples, gets on that donkey, and he rides through the eastern gate. Ezekiel says, in the future, that, that gate shall be shut. In 1530 A.D., Islam had been around, and, and, and this whole idea of, of kind of closing up the gate, they would, they would seal the gate, as you see it here, with, with these stones, and they'd put a graveyard out in front. Many believe that these, these Muslim leaders were like, hey, the Jews believe their Messiah is going to come back one day and come through the eastern gate. Let's block up the gate with some stones and let's put a graveyard in front of it because a rabbi, he's also to be that, he's not going to be walking through a graveyard. Yeah, that, that's really going to keep the king of kings and the lord of lords out. If you go through what he did at the Battle of Armageddon, I don't think a few stones is going to be a problem for this carpenter. Are you okay? Are, you, are we tracking? All right, yeah. Maybe you're just taking it in. I didn't lose you yet. Brunch is in 10 minutes, not now. Okay. One more scripture. Wait, wait. Verse 3. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway and, and go out the same way. So... 30 A.D., Jesus comes in through the gate. 1530, it's blocked up. In the future, measure the temple. The prince, the Messiah, is once again going to come in through that gate. How's that going to happen? We don't know. One last verse, Revelation. It's in the back. Easy to find. Revelation 13. At the end of the trip, towards the end here, Revelation 16, sorry about that. Revelation 16, verse 18. There were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men was on the earth. Now, the great city, many scholars believe this is talking about second coming stuff, the city of Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine and the fierceness of his wrath. So I like, I like reading this particular passage. And I like standing on the Mount of Olives towards the end of our trips and pointing over at the eastern gate and saying, okay, we know that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be this time where he puts his foot. This mountain's going to split. We also hear that, that the cities are going to divide even the city of Jerusalem will divide. The original eastern gate is below the gate that's currently there, all blocked up. It's below it. 
And, and, and a lot of these scholars go, you know, it's, it's almost like it's this picture of, of the city moving around and the different elevations. And could it be just like the father to go, you know, I'm going to expose that eastern gate below that now modern gate. The one that my son went through on his triumphal entry, I'm going to walk right through that same gate and be king of kings and lord of lords and be recognized as such. Don't know. These are interesting things to read through as you're staring at that gate, though, I'll tell you. Let's all stand. I got one more scripture. You're going to read it with me. Psalm 24. Again, we're highlighting in our travel journals, our future plans of things that we might see, things that we might be part of. Psalm chapter 24, verse 7. Let's read this together. I'll give you time to get there. Kind of in the middle of the book. Psalm 24, verse 7. Let's read this. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Wow. Maybe Mead will be there standing. And he just get the nod that day. You got a song for us, Mead? How many songs do we sing about the return of Jesus Christ, the reign of Jesus Christ? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This king, we are part of his kingdom. A kingdom where he rules and reigns today. A king who rules and reigns on hearts who have allowed him to be enthroned. One day, he will establish his literal kingdom. We will come back with him. Armageddon. Maybe even come on with me to Petra. I don't know. Maybe back to the city. And we'll see this whole thing unfold. And, and, and just these scriptures will come to life and we'll be there praising and singing the anthems unto our King. Hopefully this helps you get a little more excited. Now, track with me. We have went over these events for the last three weeks, for three studies, and we've only covered seven years of history. We haven't even come to millennium. So, next Sunday... A lot of you had questions about what's going on in Iran. I brushed up against the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 and 38 that involves Iran in the future. Next Sunday, we're going to go through that. We're going to talk a bit about the millennial reign, if we're still here. Here, there, in the air. God bless you. Have a good day.